This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to learn tonight. Of course, we're going to learn about Purim. Because, and we get a chance. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that there's a special mitzvah. But the Shulchan Aruch doesn't tell us how to be happy. It just tells us to be happy. So in, in Av, in the month of Av, where Tisha B'Av is, it says, right, Meshinichnas Av Mematim B'Simcha, that you should have less happiness. And it tells us, how do you left no haircuts, no wine, no weddings, no music, right? It tells us what to do not to be happy. But when it tells us to be happy, it doesn't tell us how. So it seems to be that the happiness in the month of Adar is not physical. We see in Av, is all these physical things you don't do to make you unhappy. You don't, you don't eat meat, you don't drink wine, you don't dance, you don't listen to music. But <laughs> for some reason, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, in the month of Adar you should be happy. It says, when you come into Adar. So isn't that a little weird? It should say, Chodesh Adar, the month of Adar doesn't say this. Something happens when you walk into Adar the first day. Something happens emotionally, spiritually that's supposed to make you happy, and 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 the Chachamim can't tell you how to do that. It, it comes automatically. We have to try to understand what that means. So <laughs> there's two two things that happen. On Purim, there's two things that happen in Adar that the minute you come into that month, it, it changes your, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you are. So we're gonna learn both things tonight. Okay, one thing is as follows. Well, first of all, we spoke about this last night a lot. Um, it's just very fascinating to see the Torah and how Hashem doesn't forget anything and how everything is woven, mamish, like a puzzle being put together. So, the, the Gemara asks, Esther Menatara Menayin, where do you see Esther in the Torah? Right? Um, and the Gemara says from the Pasuk, Haster, Aster is Panai. Aster spells Esther. Hashem said, when Hashem was very angry at us, He said, I'm going to hide my face from the Jews. I'm going to turn my face away and they're going to get into big trouble. So Esther comes from Haster, Aster. Esther, Right means also to, to from Sosia, from something that's hidden. And we know that Esther wasn't allowed to tell <coughs> Achashverosh that she was Jewish. So she had this big secret. Right? Aster, Aster is Pana. I, I, I turn my face from you. It's like, it's, everything is secret. Everything is very secret. So, it says, okay, so we know Esther from the Torah. Today in, in seminary I had some fun. Because really what your name is, is your essence. And everybody's name is who they are. And how it worked out that that grandmother passed away and this and that. You named after that one or this one or nobody. Came out Shabashira, came out Adosh, you named Basimcha. Right? Why the name gets there, but the name that Hashem gives every person is your bank card and your ATM machine. It's who you are. So, how do we know this? Anyone here know? How do you know that? Hey, right, Wallace is not just making it up because people are asked, where do you see Esther in the Torah? What's her source? Haster, Haster's Panai. It doesn't say, look for the name Esther in the Torah, because there is no other Esther besides Megillus Esther. But it's, it's, what's the, where do you see the essence of Esther? Where do you see the essence of Haman? Right? And the, the main proof is, Moshe Rabbeinu. He has a name, and the Torah tells you what, Ki Mishisihu. His name, his basis is that he came, he was pulled out of the water, and just like Batya had this thing that she, put out her hand even though she knew she couldn't reach it she reached above her normal abilities so that was the name that Moshe kept so you see all the time in the Torah there's no name Yaakov because he held on to the Akiv of Esav right Yitzchak because Sarah laughed every single name in the Torah Ruvain Rashis Oni all the 12 Shvatim every time it says the name it says it says the meaning of the name so everybody's name has a lot to do with them so we went through a little bit in seminary today different people's names and I told them from their name a little bit about them 
So it's just interesting. You know, Esther's girls who have a name Esther usually don't really talk about their real emotions. They talk, but they don't talk about what's really bothering them. Because the name is Esther. What? Everybody has a pasuk. Right. I'm talking about the essence of who they are. So the, the Esthers don't usually talk much about what's going on really deep inside because their whole shirish or their name is to be hidden. She wasn't able to talk about her name. And as you go through all the different people, then there are names that have nothing to do with people. It's a little hard, a little hard to understand. Whatever it is, Sarah's a very strong, usually Sarah's a very strong personalities, um, a little bit stubborn, but very strong personalities. And every name has its, um, has its godless. What was another girl's name? Miriam? Okay, whatever. Um, very musical, good voices. Mm-hmm. Miriam sang the Shira. You can go through all the different names and what it, you know, what it stands for. It's pretty interesting. You it's pretty. What? I, I don't. I, I just, I'm just giving some. I know the essence. I, 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 I know the essence. But the, whatever. I, I'm, now I have people start calling me up. Like, do my? Can you tell me what my name means? So, I'm just. About, the reason I'm telling you this is because Esther, because the name Esther, man, I tell you, it's, it's with Haman's name. What's Haman's essence? He's a bad guy, right? But what was his essence? Who was he? So the Gemara asks, Haman Minayin. Where do you see Haman's name in the, in the, in the Torah? Now, it says Haman, by the Mon, right? When the Mon came down, it says, Hey Mem Nun, but that's not his name. It's Haman, but that's not where his essence is in the Torah. His essence in the Torah, you say this over on Purim, wherever you are, Gonna, people are going to be like, what? So the Gemara, the Gemara, everyone knows the Gemara, most people know the Gemara. The Gemara says the following. Where's the, where's the essence of, of Haman? So by the Eitz Hadas, when they ate from the Eitz Hadas, it says, it says, it says, she ate from the Eitz Hadas. And Hashem said to Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I hear your voice, but I'm not dressed. I'm, I'm hiding. Hashem said, Who told you you're not dressed? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? Where do you know Haman from the Torah? Says the Gemara, Hamina ate. In the words, Hamina ate. Haman's essence was what? Was the tree. What was the essence of the Avera of the tree? Jealousy. Snake was jealous of Adam and Chava. He saw them together. And he told Chava, Hashem has something you don't have. So the first Avera we did was based on jealousy. And that's why jealousy is one of the hardest things to overcome. <coughs> what was the story with the Eitz Hadas? Adam and Chava had what? They had everything. They had everything in Gan Eden was theirs. Except for two trees. Right? It doesn't even talk about the Eitzachayim. That was later. Hashem told them not to eat from the Eitzadas. Then when they ate from the Eitzadas, Hashem said they throw them out because they're going to eat from the Eitzachayim. Right? So, Haman had everything. He was second in command. He was going to become the king. He tried to poison, um, through Bix and Viserosh, he tried to poison Achishverosh. He was the richest man in, in the whole of Achishverosh's country. He had ten boys. By then, that was a big thing. They had ten sons. He was the most powerful, political, richest guy. He had everything. All the Jews bowed down to him except for one. And because of that one, he couldn't get that one, which is Mordechai. He said, Hakol Eino Shavali. It's all worthless to me because there's one thing I can't get. By the tree, the Avera was, that they had every single tree, everything in the whole world, except for one. And, they, and that's what, that was Haman. Haman was the Nachash. It's brought down in Kabbalistic writings that Haman was the Nachash. Haman came from Esav. Esav was born, the Medrash says, with a birthmark on his thigh of a snake. Haman came from the Zuhama of the snake. I'm going to get into the whole story, but Haman, I mean, um, Esav, and he came from Esav, of course. Haman came from Esav. He came from Amalek. So he was the Nachash. And Mordechai was Adam. And Esther was a Gilgal of Chava. So what happened over here? The Nachash wanted Akash Baruch Hu to destroy Klai Yisrael. The Nachash, how did he, how did he, what was the first Avera that he got Chaba to do? 
So it, the, so it brings down that the Eitzadas, what was it? It was a vine. In fact, she made wine and she gave Adam wine to drink, him not knowing that it came from the, from the Eitzadas. So how, so, so the, the snake, his whole koyach of tricking the human being was through what? Through wine. So now, he decided that he's going to, with Achishverosh together, they're going to destroy the Jews. Through what? The same way they got Adam and Chava? Through wine. So what was the Mishnah called? Anyone here know what the Mishnah was called? What was the, what was the meal called? Mishnah Hayayin. The, the Megillah, when it's describing this huge, crazy party, right? This huge, crazy party that he did for the whole world. It doesn't talk about the food. Can you imagine a party? doesn't talk about how many courses, bread, cake, steak, lamb chops. doesn't say anything about the food. All it talks about is the wine. The hashkois, the drinks were served in golden goblets. Those golden goblets came from the base. Hamegdash. The yayin malchus. And the royal wine was in abundance according to the bounty of the king. It says nothing about music. There was no music. It says because they didn't want any spirituality. Music brings you to cry. Music brings you to laugh. Haman and Achishverosh did not want the Jews, Chas Shalom, to bench or to sing Zmiros or to do tshuva. So he, there's no music at this party. He didn't want them to get spiritual. So specifically, he made sure there was no music at this party. It doesn't talk about the food. All it talks about, There was a crazy amount of wine. And the wine was according to the law. What was the law? That you weren't allowed to force anyone to drink the wine. The king ordered all his officers in the house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. So it says if you were 30 years old, he gave you 30-year wine. If you were 60 years old, he gave you 60-year wine. If you were 100 years old, he gave you 100-year-old wine. But they weren't allowed to force anyone to drink the wine. You want to drink, you can. If you don't want to drink, you don't have to. Now usually in Persia, if you know anything about Persia, if they put wine in front of you, you better drink it. Because it's a big insult to the host, if they put something in front of you and you don't eat or drink it. So how come here the king didn't make the Jews drink the wine? Because Haman said, the Nachar said, if you're going to force them to drink the wine, then Hashem is going to get angry at them. They're going to say, it's not our fault, the king forced us. So you have to make sure that the law is, no, you don't have to, only if you want to. It was a trap. It was a huge trap. And Mordechai, who was Adam, said, I've been here before. Listen to me, guys. This is the Nachash. This is a trap. This is not a party. So they, because the king likes you. This is because they want to take you down, they want to destroy you. But the Jews didn't listen. So the Nachash took us down. How? The Nachash took us down with wine. He was now taking the Jews again down with wine. What happens? It's unbelievable. What happens? So it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was grapes. But, it was the Eitzadas, right? It was a tree. So if you look, no, you it's unbelievable. When I learned this, I was like, wow, wow. If you don't believe in Hashem and you don't believe that everything's woven together, you, you, you learn Megillus Esther, you don't have a choice. Listen carefully. What is, what did he comes home, Haman? He comes home. First of all, how did Esther take the, take the Nachash down? How did he take, how did she take Haman down? What did she invite him to? What was the party also called the Mishtayayan? So if you could come with the king to my Mishtayayan. So, <coughs> it's brought down very interesting. When you destroy Tumah, when you destroy the other side, you now want to use Kedusha to destroy them. Because if you use Kedusha to destroy them, then they take part of that Kedusha and that gives them life. The example brought down in the Medrash and in many other places, Zaire Pasha Balak, says that Bilam, Bilam who was this big sorcerer, was the Tumah of the world, right? He was flying in Shemayim with his soldiers. And Pinchas took the tzitz, Hazav, from the, from the Kohen Gadlo, from Aaron, which said, Kodesh Hashem, and he, he shined it up to them, and they took away their magic, and they all fell down to the earth. And then Pinchas was going over to Bilam to kill him with the Shem Hashem that Moshe Rabbeinu used to kill the Mitzri. Hashem's name. And Moshe Rabbeinu was standing there, and he told Pinchas, don't you dare use that name to kill him, because if you kill the worst Tumah, but you use the name of Hashem, the Tumah side is going to get the name of Hashem. You can't give them the name Hashem. Take his sword out of the scabbard 
and kill him with his own sword. It was called the Sword of Snakes. He had a, a, a magical sorcery sna- uh, sword, Bilam. It was called the Sword of Snakes. It had, on the handle, it had pictures of different snakes. And because he fell to the ground, Pichas took his sword and cut his head off. When he cut his head off, his head and his whole body turned into millions of snakes. So it's brought down in the Medrash. He was the Nachash. So he used his, he used the Tumas Tumadika weapon to kill itself, and therefore the Tumah got no Kedusha. Esther, who was Chava, said, I'm going to destroy the Nachash with his own weapon. He used wine to destroy me, I'm going to use wine to destroy him. But there's something very interesting here. Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, right? Yudhe Vavhe, is his name of Rachamim. That's his name of Rachamim. His name of Din, if you open up some of your Sidurim to Rosh Chodesh, you'll see in Musaf Rosh Chodesh that Hashem's name every month is spelled differently. In the month, in one, the worst name is the Din name, is when Hashem's name is spelled backwards. Instead of Yud He Vav He, it's spelled He Vav He Yud. Backwards. When Hashem's name is spelled backwards, he goes from Rachamim to Din. What month is that? Tammuz. In the month of Tammuz, Hashem's name is spelled backwards. The month of Tammuz was the beginning of the destruction of Eretz Yisrael and the Beis HaMikdash. Now, so she invites him to this party, right? He's very careful, knowing who Haman was, knowing that he was the Nachash, knowing that he wanted to bring Din on Klai Yisrael. So in the invitation, this, is, this is, happens to be a little bit deep Kabbalah, but it's very, very fascinating. In the invitation, she invites him like this. Listen carefully. She goes to the king, and she, the king, you should know, anytime it says HaMelech, and it doesn't say HaMelech Achashverosh in the Megillah, it's talking about Hashem, not Achashverosh. That's why some Megillahs are called HaMelech. So she goes, listen to this. Vatoma Esther, and Esther says, Imal HaMelech Toiv, if it's okay with you, Hashem, right, listen carefully, she's going to want to bring Hashem into this, but she's going to want to bring him in the, in the name of Rachmim, yud Hey vav So she says, she invites Hashem, she invites the Melech, right? Imal HaMelech Toiv, if it's okay with you, Hashem, Yavo Yud, Hamelech Hey, Vihaman Vav, Hayom today, which is a Hey. So she spells Hashem's name the right way. That you should come, the king should come with his name of Yud Kevavke, of Rachamim. Come to the meet, to the party, but don't come Bedin Hashem. Come to the party, Bemidas Rachamim. So she says, Yavo Hamelech, Yud Hey, Vihaman Vav, Hayom Hey. Okay? So she prepared the party to be totally Barachaman. Haman. Um, I got to the party and she she invited me to come back again with the king. All this is not worth anything to me. As long as, as I see Mordechai, the Yehudi, sitting there not getting up for me. He turned Hashem's name around. If you take the words, right? V'chol, right, all, zeh. And all this, zeh. The last letter of zeh is what? Hey. Einenu. It's not worth. The last letter of einenu is a vav. So you have hey vav. Shava, worth. Hey, Li, to me, Yud. The Hashem's name is spelled backwards. Hey, Vav, Hey, Yud. So he comes back and tells his family, there's a Midas Arachamim, we have to change Midas Arachamim to Midas Adin. Zeresh, who is a Russia, and all his loved ones, his whole Hevra, right? The Sultan and his whole Hevra said, Yasu eats. Make a tree, 50 feet tall. And in the morning, tell the king to hang him on the tree. He became very happy. 
and he made the tree. So now two-thirds of what happened by the Eitzadas just happened. One is the Eitzadas was wine. She invited him to a party of wine. Now he prepared a tree to hang Mordechai, which he ended up hanging on a tree. What was the, the thing that he, that he used to hurt Adam and Chava was the Eitzadas. So there was an eight and there was Yayin. So we're now exactly at the place that the first Avera happened where he took Adam and Chava down. There's a tree in the story and there's wine in the story. What's the third part? What was the third part in that story? How did he fool? So he was at a tree, he was at the Eitzadas and it was a vine, it had wine, it had grapes. How did he get Chava to do the Avera? But how did he get her to the very? What did he do? Everyone knows the story. What did he do? He pushed her into the tree. And she had said, if I touch the tree, I'm going to die. So he pushed her and he said, you see, you didn't die. So there were three things at that moment. There was a tree. There were grapes. There were wine. And she got pushed. We have two-thirds of the story here. We have wine. Right? We have a Mishnah of Yayin. The second party, he comes to a Mishnah of Yayin. And right outside, in the courtyard, is the tree. What are we missing? The push. What happened? The Malach put Achverosh left because he didn't know what to do because at the end of the day she said that Haman wants to kill my family but Achverosh couldn't do anything because if he took him to court Achverosh is the one who signed it. It was his signature. So he couldn't do anything to Haman. So he walked out. He had a big problem. Here my wife's telling me this guy wants to kill her and her family. I can't do anything. I can't do anything to him. So he had to go think. He comes outside. There's a tree. So the tree's there, the wine's there, and the Malach, right, the Malach Gavriel, when Haman is begging um, Esther not to take revenge on him, he pushes her, he pushes the, the he, he pushes Haman onto Esther. In walks Achashverosh, and he's laying on top of Esther. It looks like he's attacking her. He said, you are attacking my, my wife in my castle? And Haman knew he was dead, because that you don't have to go to court for. You're attacking the, the queen? Kill him right away. There's no, there's no court. Haman knew he was dead. Why did Haman know he was dead? Because Haman was the Nachash. And he knew that Akash Baruch Hu was taking revenge on what he did. You pushed Chava by the first Avera, and that's how you got her to Misa, because they would never die before. You brought her to Misa by pushing her into the tree. I'm bringing you to Misa by being pushed. The same thing you did to her is now happening to you. You got pushed. And because of that, you're going to die. And all three things came at the same moment. Tree, the wine, and dying because you were pushed. She died because she was pushed. She got Misa in the end, and he got Misa. And all came back to what he did to them. Mida, Kenegin, Mida. Not only Mida, Kenegin, Mida, but every detail of the Mida, Kenegin, Mida happened in, 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 in Megillah's Esther. Not normal. Hashem doesn't miss anything. You think you're going to hurt someone, do something to somebody, you're going to get away with it, you're going to get it back exactly what you did to that person, the exact same way, in the exact same place, in the exact same time. And that was the downfall of Haman. And he was the Satan. And he tried to get the Jews to be destroyed, and she ended up saving us. He went down at a Mishdayayan on a tree by being pushed. Godless. Okay. You're tired, so you're not like jumping out. You should be a little Rikida right here, dancing. I can't believe Hashem did this. Look what happened. Unbelievable. Okay, but you're all very tired. I can't wait. It's my fault. All right. I don't know. These things excite me. I don't know what should I tell you. When, when, when stuff comes together like this, it's like, wow. Okay. So let's go back to, um, to answering our two questions. Why, how does one become happy? And why is it Mishnichnas? Why isn't it just the whole month of Ador, Mabah Mishnichnas? So the terrorist is like this. Two points. Point number one. The Medrash talks about this. I've, I talk about this a lot. I, I use it a lot when I talk to girls who have gone through trauma and gone through things. So we all know that Esther's mother, um, Esther's, Esther's father died when her mother was three months pregnant. Okay? And then at childbirth, her mother died. So Esther never had children. Had parents. And now, when she was born, 
It says that. Esther was Adasa, she was the, the daughter, the, the niece. Kiain law of the aim. It's not a, it's not a medrash. The Megillah says, because she had no father or mother. When her father and mother died, she took her for a daughter. Okay? So she never had any parents. Now you have to understand, she had no parents, she was, she stayed by Mordechai, the Medrash says she was extremely a tznua. she never left the house, she stayed in the house, she was a very big tznua. You can imagine, we can't imagine, here you have this girl, she's from, she's a tzaddikista, she's close to Hashem, she doesn't go out, she doesn't have an iPhone, she doesn't have Facebook, she's not connected to the technology world, she's like a tzaddikista, she listened to all the things they told her in Beis Yaakov, her skirt was long, she was unbelievable, she never came out. She was like a huge Sadekista. And now all of a sudden, there's an announcement that the king is looking for girls. She's not worried. I'm locked in a house. Nobody ever saw me. Nobody's going to find me. I don't go in the street. I don't party. I don't go to movies. I don't hang out. How are they going to ever find me? I'm locked in a house. Is it not, right? And, and, and I, you know, Akash Boku is not going to do that to me. I'm a good girl my whole life. Why would he, he would never do this to me. There's a knock on the door. The king's men. I don't know if Mordechai was home or not. And, 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 and oh, there's a girl. She's not, and they took her. And she must have been thinking like, I'm a good girl, I'm a tznua, and, and I don't understand how this happened, but I'm not worried because there's no way the king's going to pick this Jewish girl. He's got a thousand beautiful women from all over the world, right? She didn't put on any makeup. They were putting on makeup for six months and oil for six months and perfume and eyeshadow and mascara and base and everything you can imagine. She had her nails done. It was French manicure. It was like, forget about it. Pedicures and manicures, these people... These women were taking care of their hairstylists, all the best shape of machos. Their hair was made up. Every every single girl was trying to be, to marry it, to be Achishverosh's pick. And Esther said to, hey guy, I'm not interested. How about a little makeup? Just a little makeup. You know, a little bit. Nope. Get your nails done. Come on. No pedicure. Nope. Get your hair done. Nope. Tight, tight, you know, a bun in the back. Not her hair flying. She's a tznua. And it says that she was, she had a green complexion. She was a machlekes, was it olive, which is beautiful, was it green, which was ugly, because, because if she was very beautiful, then the, we wouldn't realize there's a miracle. He fell in love with this gorgeous girl, and she whispered in his ear, and he did what she wanted. So Hashem made her specifically not beautiful, like Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't talk, and Hashem made sure he stuttered, because Hashem didn't want, that Paul's going to say, yeah, this guy, there was no miracle, he was a great orator, he was a great speaker, right, it was Charlie Harari got up there, and he talked the king into letting him out. Charlie's going to thank me for saying that, right? And he talked to Kino and him out. So Moshe Beno, no, he had to stutter. He couldn't, he couldn't talk. So specifically, we knew that it was a miracle. So some people hold that she was ugly. Pimples, everything, the whole works, green. And she walks, she's not worried because all the other girls will meet up like, like, like Miss, Miss America. And she's walking in, her hair's not done, there's no makeup, there's nothing, there's no perfume. She's not giving them a look at me, right? She walks in, he looks at her and goes, wow, I want to marry her. She got to be thinking, Hashem, what are you doing to me? My whole life, I'm from, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I say the whole tale every day. I say, Perak Shira, come on, like, what, what? How could this happen to me? Oh, I went to Amuka, like, come on, like, this is my Shidduch? This is my Shidduch? This is my Shidduch? The lowest guy in the whole world? It said that every girl, he slept with every girl. Thousands of girls. Every night, they, they came to his room, they left. They weren't the same as they came. This guy was the biggest lowlife in the whole world. A filthy low life. I'm going to marry him? So there's a whole machlekes in the Gemara. a whole machlekes. Like, how was she allowed to be with him? He was a guy. She's a Jew. So so the, in, in the Medrash it says that she created a shindalit. She created a woman that wasn't, like Sari Meno did by Paro, that wasn't human and looked exactly like her. And that's really who slept with him, not her. It's put down the Mepharshim. But some of Hashem say that, no, because, because it was saving cholesterol and whatever, there's a whole Gemara on it, whatever it is. And, and the question is, who's Kairish, the son that, that they had, the baby that they had? How could it be that a Shindalit had a baby? But whatever, there's a whole, there's a whole t- shock on it. But Lamais, at the end of the day, most of Hashem hold that she was with the king. That's why, that's why I gave my whole life up, Hashem. I'm supposed to marry Mordechai? And, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you sent me to the, to, the, to this low life, have to be. You can't even imagine the disgust to go sleep with Achashverosh, the most biggest snooze that they in the world. We can't even understand that. And what's going on in our head? What's going on in our head? Like, oh my gosh, that's that's how that's how you take care of me, God. 
You take away my parents, and then I'm following, I, 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 I want to marry a nice Jewish guy, and you send me to this law? Like, like, what's going on in her head? She must have been like, like, where's Hashem? So Mordechai, when, when he, when he sends a message to her, and he says, I need you to go into the king, I need you to save Kleistrel, and she says, I can't, because my life is in danger, because if the king doesn't put down a scepter, they chop your head off, right? <coughs> so she sends him that message. So, what does Mordechai send back to her? He says, Mordechai. Mordechai says to Esther, L'hoshem al Esther, you tell my niece Esther, al tadami benavshech, don't worry about yourself. Okay? It's not about you. If you're going to waver, and you're not going to go in and help Yisrael, you think you're the only one that can save us? Hashem will find someone else to save us. And you and your whole family are losers. You're a bunch of losers. You're going to be lost. Who knows? This must be the reason that you became Alchus. Everybody asked the Kasha. That's what you tell your niece? You're telling her to go put her life on the line? She's going to get her head chopped off? And you're telling her that if you don't do it, don't worry about yourself. If you don't do it, you're a loser? And your whole family's a loser? And, and, and don't worry, you think you're the only one that can save us? So he's trash-talking her. I don't know if it was my niece, girls, and I was sending her in on a life-endangering mission. I would say to her, listen, Esther Shefalah, you need to do this for the Jewish nation. Listen to me. We're not going to sit there quietly. When you go into the king, we're going to fast for three days. We're going to learn the whole shas. The girls are going to all have kinesis on, on sneers. And they're going to say the whole tehillim. And Kleistrol is going to not stop davening until you come out of the king alive. And don't worry. Hashem is here for you. Hashem will save you. I give her a whole nice, beautiful talk. When I tell her, yeah, you're not going to go? You're a loser. And your parents are a bunch of losers. And you think I need you? I'll get someone else. What's going on here? So the terrorist is, and it's a very important lesson in life. What if I said, why do you think your parents died before you were even born? The Medrash says that when the Jews went and they assimilated and they went to that party and assimilation is really the reason Hashem is so anti-assimilation and us marrying out of our religion is because he said to us you are my children and I gave you this beautiful present to Torah and by stepping out you're saying I'm not your child I'm not your child so you're pretty much throwing it back in his face oh you're not my child oh you want to assimilate with the Goyim you want to go then I will show you that you are my child because you're going to see that the Goyim don't want you. And that's what happened in the Holocaust. And that's what happened in the Spanish Inquisition. Every time we got in, we were in Spain and the Jews got into the government and they had a lot of money and they were very powerful, whack, we got thrown out of Spain. Every time in the Holocaust, in Germany, the Jews were in the Congress and the Senate and everything, ah, whack, we got thrown out. Every time you think that you don't want to be my children, you want to be, you want to be the brothers of other people, you don't want to be my children, So when we went to that party, it was a big insult to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. So the Yitzhah was always looking to get us who's the Satan, came in front of Hashem and said, your children don't want you anymore. They don't want any part of you. They want to hang out with the king and the other people. They want to drink. They want to be like them. Hashem, I can't watch them do this to you. I'll destroy them. Satan, that's who he is. I'll destroy them. Hashem said, I hear what you're saying, but why do you think you deserve to destroy them? Why you? Why are you? Who are you to destroy them? So Haman said, North Malach said, my great-grandfather was Esau. And my great-grandfather's kibbutz of Aim was amazing. The Medrash said that Esau never gave a cup of water, a cup of water to his parents without getting dressed for Shabbos. So if his father asked him for a cup of tea, he'd go into the bathroom, I don't know if he shaved, he had a beard. He showered, put some gel in his hair, right? Put on his Shabbos suit with his tie, his brand new patent leather shoes. He said, hey, Tati, here, here, Yitzchak, I brought you a glass of tea. He went and dressed for Shabbos. He went back into bed. 15 minutes later, 
Could you get me an apple? Back into the shower, combed his hair, put back on his suit. He never ever did kibbutz of aim, only dressed like for Shabbos. His kibbutz of aim was amazing. So Haman said, I'm now cashing in the 22 years of kibbutz of aim that he did and Yaakov didn't because he was working my love on, that I want to be the one that destroys them. Okay? You're going to be the one that destroys them in the midst of kibbutz of aim. Into the din walks the Malach Michal and says, Hashem, one second. There is a girl that's living in Shushan where Haman is, who has bigger kibbutz of aim than Esav ever had. Malach Haman said, Really? Who is she? This girl never in her life answered her parents back. Never said I'll be home at 11 and showed up at 11 and 15. Never ever did anything wrong to either one of her parents, not even a drop. Esau, his father told him not to marry from Canaan and he married from Canaan. So even though he did a lot of good stuff, he also did bad stuff. This girl never did anything bad to her parents because she had no parents. From the day she was born, her mother died at childbirth. She is the perfect, the perfect kibbutz of M girl. The Malach of Haman, the Malach of Esau is not so stupid. He said, it's very nice, I hear you, there's a girl like that. She never did anything wrong, but she never did anything right. She never served the tea. She never brought them anything. She never stood up when they walked into the room. So, you can't compare it to my Esau, where I come from. He did so much kibbutz of aim. So the Malach Michal said, sorry, by Jews, the halacha is machshava kemaisa. If you, if someone not, rings the bell and you want to go downstairs to give him a dollar and you take out a dollar from your pocket, when you run downstairs, the person's gone. There's no one there. It's, since you wanted to do the mitzvah, even though you didn't, couldn't do the mitzvah, consider it like you did the mitzvah. You're going to visit someone who's sick and your car breaks down, you can't get there, it's closed, the hospital is already closed, you can't go. You went, you tried, you get the mitzvah. An Avera, if you want to do an Avera and you have a flat tire and you can't get to the Avera, it's not, Machshava is not considered an Avera. It's a special thing Hashem does for His Jewish children that if you have a thought to do bad but you don't end up doing the bad, it doesn't count. But if you have a thought to do good and you end up not doing the good, it counts. So He showed that every morning Esther woke up and she would cry to Hashem that I wish I had parents. Not because I need parents, but because if I don't have parents, I can't do Kibbut of Aim. So every single day in her life, she cried to Hashem that I don't have the mitzvah of Kibbut Aim because I don't have parents. And therefore Hashem considered like she kept all the mitzvahs of Kibbut of Aim. So now there was one girl in the whole Jewish nation that was bigger in Kibbut of Aim than Esau. And that was Esther. Mordechai had Ruach HaKodesh. And Mordechai knew this. So he sent a message to her. And he said, listen. If you're going to waver and you are not going to go to the king to save us, that your parents died is lost. The only reason they died was so that you, they would be the refuah for the maka. The only reason they died was so that you would be the biggest in Kippur of Aim and you would be able to save Kleisrov. But if you're not going to save Kleisrov, why do they have to die? There was no reason for them to die. So the whole thing's a loss. And if you think that, oh, you're not going to save us, no one else is going to save us, Hashem has many different ways of saving us. He'll find a way to save us. But I'm telling you, that this is your moment of all your suffering. This is your moment to step up to save Klai Israel. And I, I spoke in, in California two days ago in a school called the Valley, Valley, Valley Girls, Valley Torah, Valley Torah, Valley Torah for girls. And I told them that everybody goes through stuff in life. The reason you go through stuff is there's going to come a time that all your pain and everything that you went through you're going to be able to use to help someone else. But if you don't use it to help someone else then all that pain was for no reason. You didn't have to go through the pain. Myself, I'm not going to get into my whole story but I went through some stuff in third grade and the reason I'm a Rebbe and the reason I did everything was because I wanted to make sure that the boys I'm going to teach in eighth grade for 30 years 750 guys whatever it was they're not going to go through the same thing I went through. So therefore, I use my pain for gain. But imagine if I wouldn't have. 
And when I come to Shemaim after 120 years, and Hashem, look, what did you do? You didn't do anything with your pain. It was for nothing. And you're going to sit in the room and watch what you could have been because of what you went through, you could have saved the whole world, and you didn't. And not only that, what's worse than that? You're going to watch someone else save the world when you had the chance to do it, but you didn't do it, someone else is going to save the world. And that's what he was telling Esther. He says, not only are you going to be in pain, that your parents died for nothing because you didn't, you didn't end up trying to save Kleistrel, the, the, the Savior is going to come from somewhere else, and you're going to know, I could have been that person. And I wasn't. Somebody else took the spot. Many times people are like, I thought about Ornava. I was going to open an Ornava. I was going to open a place for girls. I was going to do this. It was my idea. And I'm like, so then why didn't you do it? Because you didn't do it, Hashem. I did it. And the biggest thing is that when you have an idea and you're, and you're able to do something, you don't do it. And then someone else, if no one else does it, okay, you didn't do it, nobody else did it. But then to watch someone else do what you wanted to do. So he was telling Esther Amalka, listen to me, all your suffering, that you lost your parents, you didn't have a family your whole life was for this moment because your kibbutz of aim is much bigger. If you are gonna not going to step up, it's lost. I was talking to a girl who went through, through sexual trauma, abuse. And she was a little girl. She was eight years old when it happened. It wasn't her choice. Somebody did this terrible thing to her. And I said, why do you think that happened? You didn't choose to do it. It happened so that one day you're going to step in and you're going to be able to help girls that went through the same thing you did because you are going to overcome it and you are going to be successful and you're going to get married and you're going to have children you're going to have a household and all these kids that are going through the same things are like, I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm finished I'll never be able to get married, I'll never have a family they're going to look at you and say wow, she went through this and look what happened to her she made it, I can also make it I said, but if you're going to just get depressed and you're, going to, and you're going to give up on life so you didn't have to go through the trauma when you were 8 years old it's wasted if you went through it Use it. Use it to help others. And that's really when the wound is closed. I was told this to therapists. I just told, I said it last week to a whole group of therapists. When you go through trauma, it could be any trauma. It could be physical abuse, emotional abuse. It could be any trauma that a person goes through, right? So you have this wound. You're hurt. You have a wound. It's very hard to live with that wound. Dysfunctional parents, friends hurt you, whatever that wound is, right? You have a wound and it hurts a lot. And you go to therapy, and they give you medicine. The medicine doesn't cure the wound. Because the minute you go off the medicine, you're back, to, you're back in pain. The medicine is like when, someone's, when someone has to, a dentist has to work on my tooth, he can't work on my root canal unless he gives me anesthesia. But if he gives me anesthesia and he doesn't work on my tooth, when the anesthesia wears off, my tooth is killing me. So to do the work that you need to do psychologically when you've gone through something like trauma, so you need to take medicine so that you can handle the anxiety and the depression and all the other stuff. But the medicine doesn't fix you. And guess what? The therapy doesn't fix you either. The therapy gives you coping skills to be able to continue in your life with that pain. So if you have a good therapist, you're able to go on, you're able to have a normal life. But what happened to you stays there. And it's a bad thing. So you have this bad thing in your heart. That happened to you your whole life. There's only one thing in the world that closes that wound totally. And that's if you take your pain and you use it to help other people. If Hashem would come to me tonight in a dream and say, Zechariah Wallerstein, I could give you your life over again and we'll skip the whole thing that happened in third grade. I would tell God, Absolutely not. I must go through what happened in third grade because if I didn't, there'd be no Ornava, no Ateris Nava, no Ateris Miriam, no BCA, and no ranch in Bethel. Because had I not gone through that, I would not be interested in helping people. I'd be making a lot of money, driving a fancy car, and I probably right now would be in Florida having a good time. I definitely, as a, as a, as a, as a guy growing up, had no interest in chinuch and teaching and girls and, and teaching girls and Torah and any of that stuff. That, that came from my pain and that I wanted to make sure that what happened to me wouldn't happen to others. And that's why I went into chinuch and my friends thought I was nuts. You're not going to chinuch, you don't even know how to spell Gemara. You don't even know how to spell Gemara. If God would come to you and tell you, if I could give you your life over again without that trauma, but because you went through that trauma, you built a hospital, you built an organization, you changed the world. And you're like, no, God, God, if you put, if you go, I live again, I need to go through that again. Then the trauma becomes positive. 
it's no longer negative. In your life, the trauma caused you to become a super person, to, to be able to change the life for others. Therefore, the trauma, the person who did it, whatever it is, he should, Hashem should punish him. He's a bad guy, or she's a bad guy, whatever. That person's a very bad guy, and they'll get this. As you see, the Nachash got his. On the tree, with the wine, in the same place, gonna hang. The same thing you did to someone else is gonna happen to you or your kids. God doesn't let nobody get away with nothing. Nobody gets away with nothing. You don't get to see three generations, the person that abused you, his grandchild got abused. You don't get to see, you don't get to see the whole picture. Hashem, you see in this, it's from Megillah Sester. Hashem, everything is Mida Kinegin Mida. So the person who hurt you, whoever that is, they're gonna get theirs. But what about you? Once you say, I need that as part of my life because that's made me who I am and, 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 and I became, I, I helped the whole world, then that trauma becomes positive. If you're not willing to live again without it, you want it to happen again, it's no longer negative. Once it becomes positive, the wound is closed. It's gone. It doesn't bother you. You don't think of it. Just the opposite. You're like, since that happened, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do more, I'm going to help more, I'm going to help more, I'm going to help more. It's not a painful thing anymore. It's a very positive thing. Somebody who had trauma can't even understand what I'm talking about. Like, what are you saying? I got so hurt. What are you saying? But if you use it, if you're in my position and you used it, and you use it to build and to help, and to help other girls and to help other people, and wow, wow, becomes a positive thing. That's the way you close the wound. Mordechai said to Esther, it's time to close the wound. You have no parents. That Hashem took a tznua who was locked in her house, pulled her out and put her into Achashverosh's bed. That pain of what happened to you your whole life is now ke'es hazois. It's now to save Klaishrov. And if you don't use it, it's all for no reason. You should have, you should, you could still have parents. You could be in Beis Yaakov. You could be in your house. Nothing to do with no Achashverosh. Ke'es hazois. This is the, this is the moment. And she saved Klaishrov. And it's called Megillah Esther. Not Megillah Smorachai. She took all her pain, she stepped up, and she saved the Jewish nation. And we celebrate this every single year. Mishinichnas Adar. When you come into the month of Adar, and you see the picture of what happened in Adar, you see that the trauma and the pain and the suffering that you're going through, there's a reason behind it. It's not that God forgot you, or God's mean and wants to hurt you. You see this whole story, you see this poor girl, what she went through, and in the end you see the whole thing was for her to save every single woman, child, Jew, rabbi, everybody. She saved the whole Kla Yisrael. And all that pain was a cheshman, she couldn't have parents, give it of aim, Haman, the Malach, there's a whole cheshman. When you realize that there's a whole cheshman in the world, that God doesn't do things randomly, but everything has a reason, and you come into Adar and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going through some hard stuff, but I'm not in so much pain. Because I realize that there's a reason for it. And I realize that one day I'm going to use that pain for something positive. And that brings simcha. It's not drink wine, listen to music, you know, eat potato chips, go eat donuts, eat, eat your, your favorite food, that's gonna make you happy. That's not what Adar is all about. It's a psychology. It's a, it's a different way of thinking. Well, that's one answer. And the second answer, it's very late, I'll just say it to you very fast. And it has to do with this week's Pasha, and it's very, very beautiful. It's Rav Shimshim Pika says this on Purim. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like shaking. And he said the following, I'd say it very fast. So Purim, is bigger than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur is light Purim. So if I tell you that RC Cola is like Coca-Cola, which is the better cola? Coca-Cola. I'm comparing the RC Cola to the Coca-Cola. So if Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim, it's light Purim, what's greater, Purim or Yom Kippur? Purim is greater. Come on, girls. Does that make any sense? You eat hamantashin, you drink wine, you act like an idiot, right? You run around, you give me sugar now. Half the place is drunk. Yom Kippur? It's bigger than Yom Kippur? It doesn't make any sense. And the answer is unbelievable. What happened on Purim? Mordechai got up and told all the Jews, he ripped his clothing, he put sackcloth on his head, he told all the Jews that I saw in Ruch HaKodesh last night that God wrote a Gezerah, an edict, that we should all die. 
kids, parents, women and children, God wrote us off the first time in the history of the Jewish nation in the world, ever, that God said, wrote Xerah, that we should all die. Moshe Rabbeinu was always able to break the Xerah, the Egel, the Mon, all that stuff. Every time Hashem wanted to make a Xerah, Moshe broke it. But this Xerah was signed. Hashem signed that on this day of Purim, on the 14th day, every Jew, mother, child, every single Jew in the world will be destroyed. So Mordechai said, I want you all to know that God gave up on us. We're done. We don't have God no more. The first time ever God said, bye-bye, you are all done. Okay, you know, God might have given up on us, maybe we're not so good, but we have like a, a gadol, we have a rabbi. He's going to save us. They, were, they weren't, the Jews were not talking to Mordechai, they hated him. They blamed him for everything. They said, if you were to bow down to Haman, my kids would be alive, and everybody would be alive, because of you, we're all going to die. So they didn't, they, they hated Mordechai. So they didn't have a rabbi, they didn't have God, but they're not worried, because they have a Jewish girl in the palace. There's a nice Jewish girl in the White House. We don't have to worry. The Kushners, the Kushners live in the White House. There's nothing to worry about. Okay, God gave up on us. We don't have no rabbis, but we got Kushner. We're good. One morning, newspapers come out. The Shushan Herald that our heroine in the palace, our insider, who didn't say who she is, Esther, just invited Hitler, Yemach Shemo, to a private party, a Nazi. She invited Haman, who was just as bad, to a private party. And we're like, what? She's supposed to save us. She sold out to the other side. No, no, they went to shul, a little talking, maybe not. Maybe we read the news wrong. Maybe it's just, you know, something. Maybe she doesn't really like him. She just had to do it. Okay, so they weren't sure. Next morning. She invited him to another party, second party. Finished. So we're done. God said, we're done. The, the rabbi, he's the one who got us into this. Our insider, she's a traitor. The Jews had nobody for the first time in their life to turn to. It says in the end of my Mashiach, we're not going to have anybody to turn to, we're going to turn to Hashem. But here, we couldn't turn to Hashem. Because Hashem wrote us off. So what do we do? The Jews said, God, you gave up on us. We're never going to give up on you. So they went to shul. They fasted for three days. And they prayed. They ripped their clothing. And they davened. And all the kids, the little kids fasted for three days. And they sat and they learned. It says, Haman saw that. And he knew when he saw the kids, they were learning uh, about Kemitzah, by the base of Migdash. And he saw the kids learning. He went back to Zeresh and said, we're done. If the Jewish kids are still learning, he thought everybody would go off to Derech. So we said to Hashem, you gave up on us? We're never going to give up on you. Ever. Hashem never had that reaction from us, ever. It's sort of like telling your wife you're giving her a divorce, and I don't have anything to do with you anymore, and I'm not giving you any money, I'm giving you nothing. And she turns around and says, you could give me a divorce everything else, but I'm telling you, I'm going to love you anyway. That's what we told Hashem. You're giving us a divorce. You're throwing us out. You're killing us. We love you anyway. It's not going to change. Says, says, that moment when the Jewish nation turned to Hashem and said, you gave up on us, but we love you. We'll never give up on you. The Shemayim shook. Never, never did God ever have a nation or a person or anyone that who knew that Hashem gave up on him to turn around and say, you gave up on us, we don't give up on you. That moment of love that Hashem had for us when we said that, was never before and never after. Yom Kippur, you don't eat, you don't have, all, that, all those different things. It's fear. It's a different relationship. When this relationship is, not, is more than love, it's like you know that your partner, your husband hates you, and you're like, it doesn't matter how much you hate me, it doesn't matter how much you punish me, it doesn't matter how much you beat me, it doesn't matter where you throw me, I'm going to love you anyway. It doesn't make a difference. He says, that moment comes down every Purim. And that's why God says, Anyone who puts out their hand for tzedakah on Purim, don't ask him where he's coming from, who he's collecting for. Just put money in the hand. Don't let any hand go without you putting something in. Halach and tzedakah is, you're allowed to ask, what are you collecting for? Who are you? Show me a letter. On Purim, you're not allowed to ask. Put 
something in that hand. And the Zoya says that since that's the law in our world, it's the law in Hashem's world. And therefore, anyone who puts their hand out to Hashem, he has to give them something on Purim. He has to give us a present, all of us, on Purim. So it says it's the biggest time for tefillah, and it's the, the day that, you, that women and men are supposed to daven vosikim. My wife always daven. Supposed to daven vosikim Purim morning. It's the biggest amount of tefillah. It's the biggest amount of love between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klai Yisrael. There's a very beautiful uh, story from Rav Shimon Bayechai, where there was, the halach is if, you, if you're married and you don't have children for 10 years, and the man can really have children, but it's the wife that can't, so the halach is you're supposed to get divorced and marry someone else, because the man has a mitzvah, puruvu. So, today it's very different, because they have all the different organizations, whatever they can do, whatever it is. So there was, the Gemara says, there says there was a story, and it's a medrash, that um, this couple didn't have children for 10 years, they came to Rav Shimon Bayechai, and Rav Shimon Bayechai said, he has to, they have to get divorced. And he said, but you know what? You, you love each other. I see how much you love each other. It's very hard for you. So just like the night you got married, you made a big party, a wedding. The night you get divorced, make a suudas preda, a, a, a party of separating. So they come to this party and they're both sitting there and they're crying because they don't want to, they don't want to get divorced. They loved each other. They just didn't have children. And she's giving him wine and he's getting drunk because he can't handle this, his pain. And the law in those days were that if you get divorced, the woman goes back to her father's house. She goes back to Beisavir, the whole Gemara, Truma, he's a kind, whatever it is, but she goes back to her, she goes back to her parents' house and the man keeps the house that he lives in. And he gets married, he brings the, ne- the next lady, if he does, into his house. She goes back to her parents. So he's sitting at the table, this sitting at the table, and he says to her, listen, tomorrow morning, you're gonna have to go back to your father's house, we, you know, we're getting divorced. But even though it's not halacha, I want to do something for you because I love you. We have beautiful paintings in the house. We have beautiful silver, all types of expensive things. Outside of Yuxuva, because then he has to pay her, I want you to take the most precious thing. Whatever you love in this house, take. It's yours, and it's on top of Yuxuva, not instead of Yuxuva. You get Yuxuva, and you get the beautiful thing. She said, thank you much. I love you. And he fell asleep. She went next door to the yeshiva, base Medrash. She got four guys to carry his bed while he was drunk sleeping into her father's house. He wakes up the next morning. He says, this is wrong. I'm supposed to be in my house, just in your father. What am I doing in your father's house? She said, you made a deal. You said, I could take the most precious thing in the house, and you are the most precious thing. So I took you. Now this guy was in trouble. What is he going to do? He, he said, he made a promise. And now, he, how does he give her a divorce? So he went back to her Shimbai Chai. And he told him the story. So Rishim Bachay, my wife, I, I said something out of my mouth, and she took me, and 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 and, and now what am I going to do? How do I, how do I give her a divorce? Rishim Bachay broke, broke out. He started crying like crazy. Rishim Bachay, asked him, "Why are you crying, Rebbe? Why are you crying?" And he said, "Halavai, that Klai Yisrael would have felt that way when we left the Beis Hamikdash on Tishabav." Halavai, we would have felt, we're going into Golas Hashem, you're the most precious thing, we want to take you with us. He said, maybe if we would have done that, Mashiach would have come. He said, you were Miss Ayre, you woke up, this feeling in my heart, Rashi Mayachal, he said, your love for each other is unparalleled. And that's Chus, go back home, don't get divorced, you'll have a baby next year. And the Medrash says, Kachaya, the next year, had a baby boy. That's the love that we gave Hashem on Purim. We said the most precious thing, even if you wrote us off and you're giving us a divorce and you're killing us, the most precious thing in our life is you. There was never such a relationship between the Jews and God ever again and ever before. And therefore Purim, that emotion is woken up in, in God, whatever that means. And God says, whatever you want, just put your hand out. Your love for me, whatever you want. Imagine the husband, right? You love me so much, whatever you want. Here's, here's the credit card. No, here's, here's the American Express Black. Go, go shopping. Go do whatever you want. So Hashem has an open hand totally on Purim, and a girl wants a shidduch, whatever she needs, whatever anyone needs, Purim morning, Vasikim. And then say, always say, Perek Chav Beis, Ayelah Sashachar, on this year's Thursday, on Tanis Esther, and also on Purim. So, I want to end this. This week's parsha. In this week's parsha, this is beautiful. This is just repeat the Shabbos. So 
there were, there were Hashem told uh, Hashem told Moshe to make the menorah out of one piece of gold, and it's he. It was impossible for him to make the menorah out of one piece of gold. So he asked Hashem, "How am I going to do this?" Hashem said, "Take the gold and throw it into the fire." And he threw this big chunk of gold into the fire, and out came a menorah, a miracle. So they asked the question, on top of the Arna Kodesh was a slab of gold with two kruvim. The kruvim were angels with baby faces facing each other. And it says, Mikshatasa, that you should make it out of one piece of gold. It's harder to make that out of one piece of gold than the menorah. So how come Hashem didn't tell him, take this piece of gold, throw it in, and out will come the kruvim? She says, beautiful. He says, but what does the kruvim represent? Two children, the faces of children. He says, chinuch of children, you can't just throw it and see what happens. You have to work on every single part of it. So the thing that represents the chinuch of children in the Beit Hamikdash are the kruvim. So even though they have to be solid, they have to be miksha, you can't just throw it in the fire, bring up your kids and just say, okay, whatever will happen, will happen. No. The kruvim represents chinuch, chinuch has to be chiseled out. Chinuch has to be done by hand. It has to be done slowly, and it can't be just thrown into a fire. And that's why the menorah was, went into a fire, but the Arnach Kodesh did it. And they asked the following question. So these kruvim, I don't know if you ever saw pictures of them, so they were angels with these baby faces, and they faced each other when Klai Yisrael, like this, they had wings, and they faced each other when Klai Yisrael was at peace with each other. When Klai Yisrael wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing, the kruvim changed like this, and they faced away from each other. When the Romans came and to the base of Migdash, they found the Kruvim not only facing each other, but physically intertwined with each other, with a female and a male face, right? And they brought it out and they said, look at the Jews, they serve, the, 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 they serve idols, just like we do. And like, so Chazal asked, I don't understand. When the, when the base of Midrash was burning, was being destroyed, when Hashem was bedin, he was very angry at the Jews. The Jews were full of sins. Why were the Kruvim facing each other? Why were they intertwined? They should have been facing away from each other. But the Romans found them facing each other, intertwined. So I'd like to read you the answer. It is so beautiful. From inside, it's the it's second, and I'll let you go. And he says the following. So the, the Magid Mezrich, this is a big, big person, says the following. The halacha is when a man goes on a trip and he's going away for a long time, before he leaves, um, what's the word I used last night? They're supposed to be together, but there's a word. What was the word I used last night? Where is he? What? Right. So that's the word. So when a, when a, what, he was by my he was by my share last night. So before before they, they have to he should he should go to his wife and they should be intimate. He's going on a long trip. He should be with her intimate. Listen to what he says here. So he he says the maggot says. Shabbenayisro was being thrown was being thrown out to Golis because of the sins. So Hashem looked at them right. And it was like, they're going on a long trip. So therefore he wanted to show him his love. He wanted to be intimate with them through the Kruvim and the Kachikadoshim. You hear what's going on here? You hear the relationship that Kachikadoshim has with us? Even though we were, we were sinning, he was destroying the Mitzvah Mikdash in his anger, in his din. But he said, but at the same time, I'm losing my wife. I'm going away. I'm going away for a very long time. The Mitzvah Mikdash is going to be destroyed. But the Allah is, if, you, if you're leaving your wife for a long time, you have to be intimate. So that was the intimacy that he showed. That's one. And the other one is, beautiful. The other answer, he says, is that the truth was that the years, all those years that Christ was doing his sins before the Romans actually got into the base of the Kruvim were not facing each other because we were very, very bad. In walked the Romans. When the Romans walked into the Kurdish Kedashim, the Kruvim switched and they faced each other. Why? 
Because until the Romans walked in, God was very angry at us. How could you act avoid the Zara, Shvichas Damim, Sinas Chinam, Gileroyes? He was very angry at us. But when the Romans, low lives, right? When Titus walked in with his whole Chevra, and Hashem saw what the Romans were like, he said, compared to the Jews, the Jews compared to the Romans are the most beautiful nation in the world. And he turned the crew to face each other. So until he saw the rest of the world, he was angry at us. But when he saw the, how bad the rest of the world was, that's when the Kruvim turned around. So when the Romans walked in, they found the Kruvim facing each other. Because Akash Baruch appreciated that no matter how bad we are, no matter what we... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.